Now, one of the things that you'll hear me talk about in our how to YouTube video later today is, you know, always make sure that your audience can identify you by what it is you love, not by what it is you hate. You know, hate videos are very, very easy to get very quick, easy, cheap clicks. Yes. But, you know, you want to be the kind of YouTuber where when people just look at your channel, they can identify what it is this person loves, not, oh, we know this person because we know them by what it is they hate. You, you know what I mean? So I, I generally tend not to get into the stuff that I try not to get into really, really negative things, but once in a while, you kind of need to. John, what are you talking about? Well, last night, uh, I sat down because you got to know, I'm actually a fan of both. I'm a big fan of Octavia Spencer, and I'm actually quite a big fan of Melissa McCarthy. I know not everybody is. I have always been a fan of Melissa McCarthy. And, you know, uh, you know, Can You Ever Forgive Me? I think that was the name of the film where she got an Academy Award nomination. She can do great humor. She can do drama. I really like her. Octavia Spencer is a goddess that walks on the earth. I love Octavia Spencer. So last night, I sat down to watch Thunder Force. Anne and I both sat down to watch Thunder Force. Uh, it's a Netflix original and obviously starring two of my favorite ladies in movies. And I will tell you this. About 30 minutes into the movie, Anne said, yeah, so I'm just going to go into my office and work on some stuff. I'm like, I understand, baby. I understand. So Anne got up and walked away, and I said, I'm probably, I can probably only stomach about five more minutes of this. But because somewhere deep down in my psyche, I think I hate myself because I forced myself to continue watching Thunder Force. And I will tell you, look, everybody throws around. We live in a zero and 10 society. If people like a movie, they go, it's a 10, it's a 10, it's a 10. If they slightly don't like it, it's a zero, it's a zero, it's a zero. This was as close to a zero of a movie that I can think of that I've seen in the last five years. It It is probably in the top three worst movies I've seen in the last five years. It is utterly horrible. It's horrible. I did not smile, grin, chuckle, let alone laugh once, not once. Despite the fact that there's even some great supporting characters, Bobby Carnival, I love him. Jason Bateman is awesome. I love Jason Bateman and he somehow allowed himself to be talked into being in this thing. But this is an utterly horrible, horrible movie that you should not watch. And maybe it's a little bit of hyperbole, but when it was over, I got on Twitter and I said, this would be my review quote for the poster. If they asked me for a review quote to put on the poster or DVD of Thunder Force, here's my review quote. I would rather masturbate with sandpaper gloves then watch this movie again. And I say that's hyperbole, but is it? Is it hyperbole? I, I'm not really sure that's hyperbole. And it, it brought up a question for me because there is a pattern. All right. And by the way, um, Marceline, Marceline Rico sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Marceline. Um, there is a pattern here. And that pattern is, when you look at Melissa McCarthy, she has done some great stuff. 
But you could very obviously say not everything she does is all that great. But there's a pattern. Whenever you look at the movies that are really the worst movies she's done, they're always directed by her husband, Belf Falcone. Every awful, terrible movie, all at least the worst ones, that Melissa McCarthy has done, who I think is an incredibly talented actress, don't let the bad movies she's been in distract you from that. But there is a very obvious pattern that all the worst movies she's done have been written and directed by her husband, Belle Falcone. They've been married since 2005. And from everything I've heard about Ben Falcone, I've heard nothing but sparkling, wonderful things about the man. From everything I've heard, he is like a top-shelf, wonderful human being. Like, look, I don't know him personally, so maybe that's not true. But every time I hear about Bell Falcone and what he's like personally, I hear nothing but one of the sweetest, most genuine, uh, warm, wonderful people that you've ever met. That's all I hear about the guy is that he's terrific. But when we go down, let's look at all the movies under his director's credits. They're all movies with his wife, Melissa McCarthy. Tammy, terrible. The Boss, terrible. Life of the Party, ah, I'm going to tell, look, look, credit where credit's due. I think there is some redeeming qualities to Life of the Party. I will, I know most people completely hate that movie and there's a lot to hate there. I actually found some redeeming qualities in Life of the Party. I, I will give it that. I, I will give it that. Super Intelligence, terrible. And then Thunder Force, terrible. Absolutely or as you know, Chuck uh, Charles Barkley would say, terrible, terrible, just awful, awful movies. Now look, there are two patterns here. One pattern is all of the worst Melissa McCarthy movies are the one directed by her husband, and the only movies Ben Falcone is allowed to direct are the ones where clearly her wife use his wife uses her leverage to give him the director's job. Or they just create and, and sell it to some somebody like Netflix that says, well, Melissa will be in it, and Melissa's a big star. So here you go. Now, look, for all I know, for all I know, studios are lining up and throwing movie offers at Belle Falcone like teenage girls throw chastity belts at Justin Bieber. I mean, for all I know, that's the case. For all I know, every, every studio is lining up and offering Bell Falcone movies to direct, and he's just turning them down, saying, I only like to work with my muse, my wonderful wife. She's the only person I like to work with. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's the case. But when you look, I, I mean, I think the more obvious answer here is nobody else will give him a directing job other than when they have to let him direct the film because that's the only way Melissa McCarthy will be in it. I mean, that, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm incorrect about that. But despite the fact that from all accounts, uh, Ben Falcone is a wonderful, fantastic human being, probably a terrific husband and father. Him and Melissa have a couple of kids, all that kind of stuff. There is a, a clear pattern here. Now, on the one hand, you might want to be saying, well, John, I mean, if Melissa likes making movies with Ben, then what's the problem? 
I mean, if the movies are crap, the movies are crap. Well, here's the problem. The problem becomes the audience starts to identify patterns and they start to create associations. And think, think of, let's talk about the Transformers movies for a second, right? The Transformers movies made big, big box office. But other than the first Transformers movie, which I will defend till the day I die, other than the first Transformers movie, they're all gibberish and garbage until Bumblebee came along. But in between Transformers 1 and then Bumblebee, all the movies were absolute garbage. But they were big successes until finally the audience recognized a pattern of disappointment after disappointment so suddenly out of nowhere transformers the last night comes out and it its box office results drop like a stone because although it took a while for the audience to catch on to the pattern they eventually realized look these transformers movies disappoint 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 at some point we have to learn our lesson and by the way extreme nation sends in a super chat badge in the live chat thank you extreme nation i appreciate that and my worry here is that the audience will start to associate Melissa McCarthy with terrible movies. And she's a terrific performer. I think she's an absolutely fantastic performer when she's in the right movie with the right director. And my worry is if they just keep cranking these out, and yeah, Netflix will buy them out and they'll get some people to watch them and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, the audience is going to go, uh, another Melissa McCarthy movie? No, thank you. And I just don't want that to happen to her career. I don't want that to happen to her career. Now, look, could I have done a better job directing Thunder Force? Oh, hell no. No, no, no. I, I, if I if I had, as bad as Thunder Force is, if I had directed it, it would have been worse. Bet your bottom dollar on that. But I am not the standard of excellence. You know what I mean? So, again, I don't want to be too negative, and I know I've, I've said a lot of negative things. But again, from everything I've heard, Ben Falcone is a wonderful dude, but... This whole thing of him directing his wife's movies needs to stop. It needs to stop. It's not like they've just given it one try or two tries. You now have a healthy sample size that these movies are terrible. They do not work. And I'm afraid if it hasn't already started to happen, that if they continue to do this, it's just going to damage Melissa's career. If it hasn't already started to, to damage her career, and that's not good for anybody. And I just felt bad. For somebody like Octavia Spencer. I just felt bad for somebody like Octavia Spencer, who is a goddess among men. Academy Award winner. And I I mean, <laughs> there are scenes in this movie where you can just tell she was like, why am I here? What are we doing? But it is what it is. Anyway, guys, question is, have you guys seen Thunder Force? And listen, all film is subjective. Just because I thought it was complete drivel and shite. Maybe you'll like it. I mean, that's the beauty of film. It's all subjective. So have you had a chance to see it? Did you like it more than I did? Did you dislike it even more than I did? Do you think Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone should just pull the plug on them making movies together? Maybe you think, hey, it's a beautiful thing. It's a husband and wife making films together. I don't know. How do you guys feel about it? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down... Let's go into a second off the top here, shall we? And that second off the top is this. You know, if you guys watched the companion video yesterday, me and Kimberly Kern were talking about the Fast and the Furious franchise. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Ah, popcorn kernel in my mouth. In my throat. Okay. So uh, me and Kimberly Kern were talking about the, the Fast and the Furious franchise. 
And I hated the Fast and Furious franchise for the first three installments. And then I saw Fast 4. And I'm like, you know what? That wasn't bad. And then 5 came, and I loved 5. And then I loved 6. And then I loved 7. And I really enjoyed 8. I didn't love 8, but I enjoyed 8. I had a good time with 8. And so we've all been waiting for a very long time, thanks to the pandemic, for Fast 9 to come out. Well, a brand new trailer for Fast 9 has dropped online today. And it is just... Look, this trailer embodies everything about what the Fast and the Furious franchise is today. It's completely ridiculous. That is, that is what the Fast and Furious franchise is now. It's not how it started, but it's now utterly, utterly ridiculous. It has no foundations in reality. And you know what? They own it. They embrace it. And they're like, yeah, this is what we are now. Jumping cars from two different buildings. Yeah, we can do that. Taking out a submarine? Sure, we can do that. You know, magnets on planes, lifting cars in the air? Yeah, we can do that. Like, it's whatever. They just own it. They just completely own it. And there's something about that that I think one needs to respect when you just kind of embrace the ridiculousness of it. By the way, Kung Fu Hot Dog sends in a super chat badge saying, number one fan. Thank you, Kung Fu. I appreciate that, dude. Um, So you got to respect something like that when they can just own it on that level. And so this trailer comes out and it does exactly that. It completely owns it. It embraces it. It gives it a big warm hug. And by the way, Shake and Quake also sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, Shake. They embrace and say, this is what we are. This is the type of movie we are. And they do it. And now they're doing things like, like every time they do a Fast and the Furious movie, you're like, how can they possibly get more ridiculous than this? This trailer shows how much more ridiculous. Magnets throwing. Guess what? For a magnet to have the type of force to eject two big trucks compared to that car away, the car itself would actually crush before those trucks would be thrown aside. But it doesn't matter. This isn't science class. This is Fast and the Furious. This ain't science class. It's fast. Somebody make a t-shirt out of that. It ain't science class. It's fast and the furious. That should be the new model. By the way, Dino Vader sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Dino. It ain't science class. It's fast and the furious. And, you know, (laughs) strapping rockets to a car, going off of a launch tube, shooting off to the edge of the atmosphere. You know what? It ain't science class. It's fast and the furious. Now, I I will tell you this, and I will admit straight up, if this, let's say the Fast and the Furious franchise did not exist, and this trailer for just some movie, this exact trailer came out and in a vacuum, and we didn't know about the Fast and Furious franchise, there hadn't been any of the other movies, and this trailer just came out, we would look at this trailer and say, oh my God, how dumb of a trailer can you make? How dumb of a movie can you make? But guess what? We do know Fast and the Furious. And we know this is a franchise that has embraced the ridiculousness. And so when a trailer like this comes out, I just sit back and laugh and say, I can't wait to watch this. I can't wait to watch this. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. And it's everything it needs to be. And I, for one, cannot wait to watch this. And yeah, this whole thing, like... 
the one line when John Cena says to Vin Diesel, I've lived in your shadow my whole life. Really? Your whole life? Because when we first met Dom, he was just like some median income guy, hands full of grease, just working on cars with a wrench. Really? That is a big shadow you had to live in? I don't know. Whatever. But it doesn't matter. Because this isn't just any movie. It's a Fast and the Furious movie. And this is exactly what it should be. It ain't science class. It's Fast and the Furious. And Amin Perez just put in a great comment in the live chat saying, next thing you got to do is have Fast and Furious versus zombies. That might be where they go next. That might be where they go next. Fast and the Furious versus zombies. Anyway, guys, I thought the trailer was all sorts of ridiculous and everything it needed to be. And so embrace it, love it, enjoy it. It makes me excited to see Fast and the Furious. And we're only about two months away, ladies and gentlemen. We're only about two months away. And uh, Bell Falcone sends in a super chat in the live chat badge. There you go. Um, I cannot wait to see it. I cannot wait to watch it. This trailer was everything it needed to be. Question is for you guys. What did you guys think about this new Fast and the Furious trailer? Maybe, listen, I won't blame you at all if you just think it's just totally dumb and stupid. Because on many levels, it kind of is. So I wouldn't blame you at all. Or maybe you're like me, where you're like, this is exactly what the Fast and the Furious movies are now and what makes them kind of fun and successful, and therefore I thought it was kind of perfect for what it was. How did you guys feel about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down, let's now move into our main topics here today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic, story, or issue that you think we should have as a main topic on the John Campia Show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Brent, who writes, Hello, John and crew. It has been revealed that CSI Crime Scene Investigation will be returning to TV and a lot of the original cast will be returning. Well, not a lot of the original cast, but the main kind of ones. Anyway, I personally cannot wait. What are your thoughts about CSI returning to TV in a reboot? Thanks and keep up the great work. Note, show had 15 seasons and the last episode aired in 2015. So there you go. It's coming back. So, hold on a second here. It's coming back. And and listen, I got to admit, I actually, I really liked the CSI show when it was on. I never watched CSI New York or CSI Baton Rouge or CSI Toledo or CSI Grocery Store or the 15 other CSI shows they ever made. I, I, I never watched the other ones. But that main core um, CSI show, I actually got a, a big kick out of just every week. You didn't have to follow the show and I didn't like watch it weekly, but you could just put on, it was one of those episodic shows where you could turn on any episode from any season and you can follow along with what the story of the episode was and you can get there. And I actually got a kick out of it. I, I enjoyed watching it. Now I stopped watching it once the main guy, uh, William Peterson left. And then they had a couple of different, uh, main guys, 
uh, come along. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne was the main guy on the show for a while. Ted Danson was the main guy on the show for a while. But anyway, it looks like they are actually bringing William Peterson back and they're bringing Georgia Fox back to the main characters from the original series. And instead of just calling it CSI crime scene investigation, now they're just going to call it CSI Vegas. This comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who write, the venerable CSI franchise is officially coming back. CBS has given a straight-to-series order to CSI Vegas, a sequel to the Mothership CSI series. CSI Crime Scene Investigation for the 2021-2020, that should say 2021-2022 season. And by the way, that means this year. Uh, With CSI Vegas, the most watched, get this, the most watched drama series of the 21st century. CSI uh, opens a new chapter in Las Vegas, the city where it all began, facing an existential threat that could bring down the crime lab. Crime lab. A brilliant team of forensic investigators must become must welcome back old friends and deploy new techniques to preserve and serve justice in Sin City. Dun dun dun. So there you go. Yeah. Now listen, you cannot underplay that one statement. CSI, it's been a while, but that original CSI show, it was like number one, the number one show in the world for a while. And then, of course, it spurned all those spinoff series. Obviously, you know, again, uh, CSI Miami, CSI Wendy's, uh, CSI The Condom Shop, whatever. Lots of CSIs, tons of success, lots of spinoffs, all that kind of stuff. And it was the dominant IP in television for years. It was the dominant one for years. And so for them to bring it back, and and here's what's funny. I was uh, going through, what was it? I think it was Paramount Plus. I think I was scrolling through Paramount Plus the other day, saying, oh, what do they got? And I came across their library of CSI shows. And this was only like a week or two ago. And I didn't realize, but the series ended with William Peterson, the main guy from the show, coming back for a special episode or two. Say, so, oh, I never even knew that existed. So I watched that, had some fun watching it. And now here we are a little while later and we find out that the team is coming back. And look, do I expect that CSI Vegas is going to pick up and become the number one show on television? No. I think a lot of people have probably moved on from the show, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I was actually kind of curious. And listen, reviving old shows is like the hottest thing to do right now. We just heard about Frasier is coming back. Um, Will and Grace obviously came back. You know, Rose, they brought the Roseanne show back. Then they called it the Petersons or whatever the hell the name of the show was. I never watched it. Don't care. But, you know, reviving these old shows is all the hotness right now. This is one that actually kind of excites me because I did get a kick out of watching these things before. Anyway, guys, what do you think about this news? Were you ever into CSI? Not a lot of people were today, but I kind of was for a period of time. Do you like the idea of them bringing back? Do you really not care? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Marcus. And Marcus writes, Hi, John. Big fan since the Collider days. Thank you so much, Marcus. In an interview with BBC Radio, Wyatt Russell, who's been doing a terrific job playing John Walker, the the new quote-unquote Walmart Captain America, was asked if he's ever met Chris Evans. 
to which he teased the possibility that he might show up in the last episode. Whether he was joking or not, how likely do you think Evan showing up is and what do you make of Russell's comments? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, look, I have been, despite the fact that I, you know, was as much as who the hell is this guy at the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier episode one, when he shows up, he's got that old man from up face behind the mask. Hmm. And we, and we dubbed him Walmart, Captain America. Like, who is this? I'll tell you what, Wyatt Russell has done such an amazing job with this character. He has made me love watching this character on screen. Even when you hate the character, you love watching this character on screen. And White Russell has done a terrific job. Now, some people like myself, I have speculated that, you know what? I think there's a, a small but a legitimate chance that we may see Chris Evans as old man Captain America pop up in this show. Small, like I'd say maybe a 15% chance, right? 15%, which means it's pretty unlikely. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if he did. Anyway, yes, Wyatt Russell was doing an interview with BBC Radio, and he was simply asked if he's ever met Chris Evans, to which he said something fairly interesting that's causing all the discussion right now. This is what he had to say. He said, have I ever met, met Chris Evans? I think I have. I don't think I've shook his hand, met him, but I think I've walked by him somewhere and made eye contact. That counts as being a stalker. That doesn't count as meeting anybody. But, and now this is where it gets interesting, but I guess it would. You just got to wait until the end of the series and then everybody will be like, oh, wow. Let's read that again. Have I ever met Chris Evans? I think I have. I don't think I shook his hand, met him, but I think I've walked by him somewhere and made some eye contact. That counts as being a stalker. That doesn't count as meeting anybody, but I guess it would. You just got to wait until the end of the series and then everybody will be like, oh, wow. So that comes to us from Wyatt uh, Russell. What does this mean? That's a very good question. What does this mean? <laughs> I'm curious to know what this means. As a matter of fact, I, I mean, look, this could very well be. One of those things where, remember, this wasn't a prepared statement that White Russell put out, right? This wasn't a, conf a, a prepared statement. He was being interviewed. He was asked a question. It very well could be and might even be likely that he just had two different trains of thought, you know? And he says, I ever met Chris Evans, blah, blah, blah. And then he was just like, got back on track with everybody watch the final episode and be like, oh, wow. It could be completely unrelated to how he was answering the question about Chris Evans. At the same time, is it possible that he just gave us a little bit of a hint that the real Captain America may be making an appearance in the show? It is possible. So I'll tell you what. Remember how I was saying that I think it is maybe like a 15% chance that Chris Evans shows up in this show, even in a cameo. Wyatt Russell's comments does not drastically change my opinion about that, but it does slightly influence it. So I will personally go so far as to say that Wyatt Russell's comments bump up my guess from being 15% to being 25%. Still unlikely. 
It's still very unlikely. It's four to one odds against it happening. But it does make me raise my eyebrow. Anyway, it's probably one of these things where he just kind of spoke out of turn and it really doesn't mean anything. But could it? Maybe. My question for you guys is, you guys heard the comments from Russell Wyatt or Wyatt Russell. Do you guys think that he just let slip that Chris Evans is going to make a cameo appearance in the final episode? Or do you think, no, 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 he was just, he was just mixing, you know, his trains of thought. I don't know. What do you guys think? What percentage of a chance? Let me ask you guys in the live chat right now. For those of you guys who are watching in the live chat, I want you to submit your number. I'm saying now in light of Wyatt Russell's comments that I think it is a 25% chance that Chris Evans shows up in the final episode. What percentage would you put it at? So Mark Newman is the first one to get in and answer there. Mark Newman is saying 20%. Uh, Chase is saying 25%. MMG is saying 65%. Uh, we got 20, 0, 75, 25.1%. 100% some of you guys are saying. It looks like very, very few of you guys are saying zero. Like Amir is saying zero. A um, whole bunch of numbers flying in there. Some people are saying less than 10. Noah's saying 10. Lord and Savior Kevin Feige saying 100%. Eric saying less than 10. John Grayson saying zero. On and on. So, guys, question for you at home watching this thing. What do you think the chances are in light of these comments? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Valley Stardew. I, I'm guessing that's a play on the Stardew Valley video game name. Anyway, uh, Valley Stardew writes, Hey, John and Rob, who's obviously not here today. I've been really excited for Mortal Kombat ever since the trailer came out, but I've also been nervous about how bad it could be. I just read a bunch of first reviews for the movie, and they all seem to say it's not exactly great filmmaking, but great fun at the same time. Have you seen the early reviews and what are your thoughts about them? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And yeah, listen, that Mortal Kombat trailer, while I, I definitely didn't think it was a perfect trailer by any stretch of the matter, there are a few things I thought a little cringy, but overall it was a fun, exciting trailer. I just about lost my nut when, you know, when Sub-Zero cuts a guy, blood sprays, he freezes the blood into a spike, grabs the frozen blood, and then stabs the dude with his own blood. I'm like, that right there just got me on board. Doesn't matter what else they were doing, that right there, that gets me on board. Are we expecting Shakespeare for Mortal Kombat? No, but I also think it's fair to say that Movies don't have to be one or the other. You don't have to be incredibly fun or or be really good filmmaking. You can do both. Like, I think a lot of us would love to see kind of like a Game of Thrones-ish with that type of depth and character with the smash-bang action of a Mortal Kombat in an R-rated blood and gore kind of fest like the video game. I mean, that would be great to see. I think when they brought on a first-time director and a first-time screenwriter, both of them their first time, I think we knew we weren't going to get the whole package, right? I think we all knew right away we're not going to get, you know, Game of Thrones meets the Mortal Kombat video game. We weren't going to get that. So all we've really been hoping for and expecting is just at least give us a good time at the movies, at least give us some fun. Well, apparently, 
according to some of the earlier um uh some of the early reviews that have come out they're saying that's exactly what it is it's exactly what we were kind of hoping like we knew it wasn't going to be like brilliant filmmaking but can it at least be fun? And apparently that's what we're getting. So this comes from Screen Rant who gathered up a bunch. Uh, Mufadal from ING, IGN Middle East writes, if you're a Mortal Kombat fan, you'll have a blast since you'll fill in the gaps with your pre-existing knowledge of the series and just revel in the violence. But for the average viewer, there will be little reason to care for the stakes here. Ultimately, that's what 2021's Mortal Kombat comes down to. A solid video game adaptation full of fan service for the gamers, stay for the sequel tease, and a decent action movie for everybody else. So kind of what we were expecting. Nothing brilliant, probably not a lot of depth, but they just went for some good, fun action. Much like, you know, this is very reminiscent of Kong versus Godzilla, right? Kong versus Godzilla is not winning any Academy Awards, other than maybe, I don't know, visual effects. But it's not winning any Academy Awards. But it just delivered on some good, dumb fun. And sometimes that's all you really need. Curvin um, uh, from Critical Hit writes, For every step backwards it takes, Mortal Kombat then promptly flying bicycle kicks its way forward again to the point where I walked out of the cinema, not just thoroughly entertained, but actually all in on the next chapter teased in its closing moments. With just a $50 million reported price tag, the film won't need to do much to break even and guarantee a sequel. So let's just hope that 2021 doesn't pull a fatality on this franchise. Uh, then James from the South China Morning Post writes, uh, nuanced character drama, uh, this most certainly isn't. Not surprised. Nuanced character drama, this most certainly isn't. Instead, this is boxers with ninja blood and green berets with robot arms pummeling invisible lizards and bat-winged demon babes to a bloody pulp. When they're not fighting, character characters bicker and spout pseudo-spiritual ideisms until it's time to square off again. Mortal Kombat is not just... It is just, let me try this again, Mortal Kombat is not just the discerning palette, but for those in the know, get over here. So it seems like, and that tends to be the revolving kind of census through it. It's It seems like everybody who's kind of offering their thoughts on this are all basically saying the same thing. Don't expect great storytelling. Don't expect great character depth. Don't expect a great hero's journey. Don't accept, you know, expect the, the perfect three-act structure. But let's be honest. Most of us who are excited for Mortal Kombat, we're never allowing ourselves to hope for those things anyway. It would have been great. It would have been great. We're just like, damn it, the movie theaters are opening again. I want to see this on a big screen with big action. We want to see Sub-Zero and Scorpion beating the hell out of each other. I want to see Sub-Zero cracking off Jax's arms on a big screen. That looked I want to see that fire dragon like on a big screen. I want to see this glorious action. And if you can give me that, if you can give me that, you will have won me over. And it sounds like, at least from these early reviews, it sounds like that is an option. Now, I've been given a screening invite uh, like a, a watch at home thing, but much like Godzilla versus Kong, I ain't not, I ain't going to watch this movie until I can watch it on a big screen. So I am going next week. Is it next week or a week and a half? now? Whatever, whenever the day is, I'm going to go. My first viewing of this is going to be on Friday afternoon. Obviously not this Friday, next Friday. I'm going to be, my first viewing is going to be on a Friday afternoon in a movie theater, watching this thing in all of its glory. So, but it sounds like we have some good reason 
to feel a little bit excited about it. So I'm excited about this. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the sounds of the reviews that we're hearing from Mortal Kombat? These early reviews are coming in. Nothing really surprising. Not great character work, not great script, whatever. But it apparently it really does deliver a lot on that action, that, that excitement. That's the kind of things we're going into a Mortal Kombat movie for. Are you guys excited? Are you a little bit disappointed? How are you guys feeling about Mortal Kombat right now? I'm feeling pretty good. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? And once again, the way you send in a live comment or question, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video below, or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. All right. Let's move on over here and start taking your questions. We're going to start things off here with Suthius, who writes, As I was watching the companion video, hearing about Bucky using a glove on a phone, I had to do a double take. I don't think the viewer lives in a state where it's cold. LOL. It snows every year in Virginia, and I use uh, capacitive touch gloves every year. So what Suthius is talking about is somebody wrote in a question says, You know, I can suspend disbelief for a lot of things in a comic book movie. But Bucky using an iPhone with a glove on, that's unforgettable. I mean, obviously, he was saying that in jest. But I'm like, don't you forget, as a Canadian, yeah, they came out like 10 years ago with gloves that will work with touchscreens and stuff like that. And obviously, Suthius knows exactly what I'm talking about, living in a place like Virginia. All right, next up, we got Joseph Curtis who writes, Hey, John, it's me again, the guy who listens to you in the shower. It's always good to bring John Campia with you into the shower, ladies and gentlemen. That's just good life advice. Anyway, uh, the guy who listens to you in the shower, best part of the day. My question to you is this. What is the most inspirational slash moving movie scene for you? And what film are you looking most forward to this year? Well, those are two different questions. But as ridiculous as it sounds, the most moving um, movie moment in a movie for me ever. I'm not joking. It's best of the best. That to me is the most, that is the most moving moment in a movie I've ever seen. Best of the best, Eric Roberts, James Earl Jones, Taekwondo movie masterpiece. At the end, when Day Han, the leader of the North Korean Taekwondo team with his gold medal on, because the North Koreans beat the Americans because Tommy spared Day Han's life. Day Han, beaten and battered, limps across the aisle takes off his gold medal, puts his gold medal on Tommy and says, I deeply regret the loss of your brother and I offer myself as your new brother. Damn! I'm sorry, if you're a man, if you are a man, that will shake. That will just get every blood vessel in you just surging, coursing with manly blood. It is the best moment in movies ever. Best moment in movies ever. Now, I see a few people in the live chat putting in some very, very good ones as well. Uh, Lord of the Rings, my friends, you bow to no one. That gets me every single time. Uh, you know, uh, Pa Kent in Man of Steel. Can we just keep pretending I'm your son? You are my son. I get I get choked up just thinking about that. But Dayhan putting the gold medal and saying, I offer myself as your new brother. Damn! That is some glory right there. 
That is some absolute glory. As far as what's the movie I'm looking forward to most this year, it's Dune. Dune is still the number one movie that I'm most excited about this year. So we'll see where that goes. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Joseph. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Stefan who writes, I've been rewatching all of the Disney's 59 animated classics. That's a good project. Some of them I haven't seen in decades, while some of them are better uh, some of them are better than I remember them to be. Others aged for the worse. Sleeping Beauty was so boring. You know, I never loved Sleeping Beauty. I, so I kind of feel you on that. I still like it, but I, I, you know, I never really loved it that much. It was so boring. I almost fell asleep before Aurora did. That's a good one. Yeah, listen, hard to go wrong with any of the Disney animated classics. But yeah, I, I would say out of all the big popular classics, that one I personally rank a little bit. Uh, a little bit lower myself, so I'm kind of with you on that, Stephen. All right, Stephen also writes, top 10 animated Disney films. Number 10, The Great Mouse Detective. Number 9, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Burn! Anyway, uh, number 8, Bambi. Number 7, Lilo is Stitch. Number 6, Lion King. Oh, that's my number one all-time favorite animated movie, period, is Lion King. Anyway, number 5, Moana. Uh, there's a line where the sky meets the sea, and it calls me. That's such a great line in that song. I, I Don't laugh. I have been caught driving around in my car in Los Angeles with that song from Moana. <laughs> There's a line where the sky meets the sea. It calls me. And I'm blaring that. And I'm like, yeah, I just think about dreaming. And there's a line where the sky meets the sea. And that line calls me. I love that. Love it. And people would, in Los Angeles would look at this middle-aged guy and said what the hell is he listening to but that anyway that's me uh number four the emperor's new groove number three pinocchio number two beauty and the beast and number one ryan the last dragon Inter i really like lion the last ryan the last dragon wouldn't be in my top 10 but i really did enjoy that one um he goes on to say you read my previous comment correctly john ryan the last dragon has become my all-time favorite disney animated movie saw it seven times already and love everything about it the story the message the characters humor score i think it's wonderful hey look i i really enjoyed ryan the last dragon i did it wasn't as good as i was hoping it would be but yeah ann and i sat down and we watched it and i thought it was charming and fun i really liked the characters the action for an animated film felt really good and i dug it again not in my personal top 10 disney animated films but quite good nonetheless so thanks for sharing yours man all right next up uh, no one writes, John, I'm drunk as F, but I don't give an F. Uh, the best thing I like about you is that you're honest, not just with us, but with yourself. Uh, from my experience, it's rare to find. I will follow, uh, what you do until I'm not able to thank you for being you. Oh, thank you, man. That's it's always nice to somebody who just wants to write in to say something encouraging. So I appreciate that. Uh, no one very, very much. Thanks for sharing that. And, uh, you know, Hey, if you enjoy the John Campus show while, in, while, you know, partaking in an adult beverage, you go ahead and do that, my friend. Anyway, thanks again for the kind words, man. I appreciate that. All right. Next up, we've got Russell Amador who writes, Hey, John, the whole John Walker situation has me thinking of Daredevil season two. The rooftop scene between Daredevil and Punisher, where Punisher said, you're only one bad day away from being me. That was a great scene. That whole episode was fantastic. The ideology behind how to stop crime made for compelling argument. Yeah, that whole thing was great. And, and it, I really appreciate these kinds of movies and shows where you have competing ideologies right? You have contrasting ideologies. It's one of the reasons why I really like Batman versus Superman. 
because you have two heroes with very divergent ideologies and a good argument can be made for both ideologies. Like it's not just have, I mean, obviously a hero and a villain villain have different ideologies, but I mean, when you can have two competing ideologies and there are good valid arguments to be made for both ideologies, to me, that makes for compelling storytelling. And so as that conversation between Matt and Punisher on that rooftop uh, was going on, you were like, yeah, I mean, it was a great tit for tat conversation. And it's, it, they make the same thing. Like again, John Walker in here, he makes that one comment. I think it was episode two or three where he says, if we get the job done, I don't think they're going to care how we do it. At the end of the day, getting the job done, isn't that what it's about? I mean, so it's kind of neat when they play those things off each other. So I do, I, I like that one a lot, Russell. All right, next up. Uh, maybe I'm nuts, writes. Last night, I watched The New Mutants. I drove all the way to Las Vegas to watch The New Mutants in a movie theater. Anyway, uh, and it wasn't bad. The internet trashed this movie when it came out, and I watched it to see why. Without knowing the source material, I just enjoyed it. Maybe I missed something. Why did this movie get so much hate? Uh, never, uh, New Mutants is better than Wonder Woman 84. Listen, I'll say this. <clears throat> I didn't think New Mutants was good. But it had redeeming qualities. I didn't hate it. I, I didn't hate it. Should it have been better? Yes. Did it make some fundamental movie-making mistakes? Yes. But at the end of the day, and maybe this was because it was the first time I had been in a movie theater in six months. Because remember, the pandemic had shut everything down. There are no movie theaters open in California. For me to see this movie when it came out, I drove to Las Vegas just so I could watch that movie, turned around and drove right back home. And maybe just being in a movie theater again, is it kind of colored my experience with it. But I, I had a decent time watching it. I had a decent time. I, like, is it great? No. Is it even good? No. But was it this tr- dumpster fire of a movie that some people make it out to be? I, I, I also didn't think it was that either. And you know what? At the end of the day, I actually may have preferred it over Wonder Woman 84. I mean, they they both are disappointing movies, but yeah, you know what? I think I probably did like New Mutants a little bit more than Wonder Woman 84. Anyway, uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, maybe. I, I appreciate it. All right, next up. Um, Kenny B123 writes, Hey, John, dark prediction for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Old man Cap confronts new Cap in an attempt to counsel slash de-escalate recent events. Tempers flare resulting in John Walker killing Steve Rogers. Would play into cameo rumors, uh, Bucky line in trailer and tearful episode. I, I mean, do you kill? Here's the thing. Do you kill the real Captain America? in an episode of a show on Disney plus captain America, who along with iron man, those two have been the face of the MCU for 10 years, longer than 10 years, captain America and iron man. Uh, these guys, you know, Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr. They have been the face of the MCU for 10 years. You kill off Tony in a climax battle in one of the biggest movies of all time, Endgame. Do you kill off Steve Rogers in an episode of television on Disney Plus? I don't think you do that. Not to mention, 
don't forget all the reports that came from not like little silly rumor sites, but came from like major trade like Deadline. And I know Chris Evans has denied it, but Deadline doesn't just throw out nonsense for no reason. You know, remember Deadline said they have they have got it that Chris Evans has signed a deal for to do a couple more films. When and how and what the nature of it will be, don't know. So for those reasons, I don't think that'll happen. But it would make, it would make for a dynamite episode of television. It would make it. But again, the two faces of the MCU, one you kill off in the climactic battle at the end of the one of the biggest movies of all time, and the other you kill off in an episode of TV. Ah, I just don't see them doing that, man. But it would make for a hell of an episode. All right, let's see where they go with that. Next up, Ryan Loner writes, a really underrated Cap moment. Red Skull says, you never give up, do you? Cap says, thinks you're saying, simply says, nope, and keeps fighting. He doesn't care at all about making witty quips and is just going to keep going until he gets the job done. There is something so spunky about the real Captain America. I love him. I love him. And you know what? I often get tired of of characters using their catchphrases. I never once got tired of hearing Steve Rogers say, I can do this all day. He could say that twice a movie for every movie he's in, and I would never get tired of it. Anyway, uh, next up, Murray Reich writes, Walker, what's with all the knives? Joker, uh, why? Don't you want to know how I got these scars? Uh, I didn't put those two pieces together when he said it, but I did like the line from Walker when he said that. What's with all the knives? I did like that. All right, Alan writes, hey, John and Rob. I just saw the trailer for Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which we talked about on yesterday's show, and I loved it for what it is. Does it look silly? Absolutely. I'm not expecting Shakespeare, and I'm very excited for this. Have you seen it, and what did you think? And yes, we did talk about this on the show yesterday. I thought it was a really fun trailer. Now, I like the original Hitman's Bodyguard. I didn't, you know, I'm not head over heels in love with it, but I enjoyed the first one. I love Samuel Jackson. Obviously, I love Ryan Reynolds. Um, Selma Hayek, obviously. The concept is really cool. I thought the trailer was really fun. I thought it was really fun. And the job of a trailer is to make you more excited for a movie. This made me more excited to see the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. So, uh, yeah, I'm down for it, and I really did like the trailer. All right, next up, uh, we've got uh, Joseph Curtis writes, Hey, John, I recently thought about the Oscars, and I have a prediction. I think that Nomadland will win Best Picture. I mean, it probably will. Uh, it's a, it is a well done film, but I feel like it's a little overrated. Oh, I don't. Uh, when you have movies such as, such as trial of Chicago seven, why is there so much hype? Um, the reason there's so much hype is because nomad land is a masterful film. It's a masterful film. Now, no disrespect to Trial of the Chicago 7, which, you know, I saw it in 2020. It was my favorite movie that I saw in 2020. But Nomadland is on another level. Now, look, this where it gets into, there are a lot of, everybody looks for different things in movies, right? Everybody looks for something different in different movies. Some people want action and explosions and excitement. You know, those, I'm a sucker for those things. You know I am. Some people want, you know, big history uh, movies about history periods and stuff like that. Some people love biopics, whatever. Nomadland, if you were to just describe the movie to me, a widow who lives out of her van and works temporary jobs and is constantly on the, just constantly on the move. And it's just about her and her life. Would that sound appealing to me? No. Nothing about what I just said sounds appealing. 
But what Chloe, the the um, the director of Nomadland, who's also the director of the upcoming movies, The Eternals, what Chloe Zhao was able to do as the director of this film with, you know, Francis McDormand, who's who might be, should be maybe in the conversation at least of one of the greatest actresses of all time. What they do with this movie is one of the most difficult things to do in movies. Connect you as an audience with a story of the human experience. And it makes you quite, quite make, I, I'm watching Nomadland and I'm asking myself questions about what is important to me in life. What value do I put? Why do I put more value on this thing in my life over this thing in my life? Even bigger questions about the meaning of life. What is a life well spent and a life well lived? What are the key essentials and things that actually give happiness and meaning and fulfillment? That's great that you put a big giant lizard and a giant monkey on screen and they punch each other in the face. And you know I had a lot of fun watching that movie. You know that I did. And And that's great. But when a director and a film... And not everybody will have the same experience because all film is subjective. But when a film can make you wonder and ask yourselves those, you ask yourself those questions, that is a special kind of movie. And that is a special kind of storyteller and a very special kind of filmmaker. And they did all of it within the context of a story of a woman who lives in a van and just drives around. And, and I did. I found myself glued to this film, asking myself those questions. Why does this matter to me and this doesn't? What's important in my life? What are the things I need or think I need in my life to give me fulfillment and joy? You know, what is the meaning? Like, it is the height of filmmaking powers when you can tell a story that makes your audience ask themselves those questions. And... So for me, yeah, was is, was there an X-Wing fighter flying across the sky? No. Did Optimus Prime roll up and transform and beat up a Decepticon? No. Did Captain Marvel swoosh across the sky and punch Thanos in the face? No. But it was one of the more meaningful movie-watching experiences I've had in a couple of years. It's brilliant. And... I, and again, all film is subjective. It'll all hit us in different ways. To me, this is the film. I mean, you know me, I don't care about the Oscars this year because I think this is an asterisk year because of the pandemic. But that being said, um, there's not a movie that deserves Best Picture more than Nomadland, in my opinion. There's no movie that's come out this year. I mean, all due respect to Sound of Metal, all due respect to Minari, all due respect for Trial of Chicago 7, all due respect to, to, to The Father, all due respect to all these like great movies that I'm sh- sure are going to be in the running, but I, I honestly don't think, I haven't seen a movie do what Nomadland has been able to do in a long time. So anyway, that's just me. That's just me. All right, next up. Uh, thanks for asking the question, though, Chris. And again, it's all subjective. We're all going to react differently, but that's how it made me react. All right, next up. Uh, just my opinion reviews writes. Hey, John and Rob. Rob's not here today. 
Have you heard of the film uh, critic slash YouTuber uh, Emmons Movie Reviews? Nope, never heard of him. But then again, there are 10 million movie reviewers out there on YouTube that I've never heard of and 10 million movie reviewers out there who have never heard of me. So that's perfectly fine. Uh, but no, I've never heard of this particular channel. Uh, he started a petition on change.org for Marvel to recast T'Challa. It has thousands of signatures already and it's gaining steam. His uh, 4 minute 57 video on this channel explains it. I, I don't care. I, 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 movie fans should not be doing petitions. I really don't care. Now, obviously, do I want... You guys know my position on this. I think they should have recast T'Challa. I think the character of T'Challa is far too important and far too meaningful and means far too much to far too many people to throw the character away because we no longer have the actor who played him. I, I don't think that does any... I think that does a disservice to the legacy of Chadwick Boseman you know, really? He he did such a great job making this T'Challa character so important to so many people um, that um, and because he can't carry it on, you're just throwing him away? You're just throwing the character away? Uh, to me, that's ridiculous. But, you know, I get it. It's a difficult situation. You want to handle it respectfully and do it in a very way. And so I'm not mad and Marvel for for not recasting T'Challa and just getting rid of the... T I, I'm not mad at them because I know their motivation for it is good. They want to be respectful. But to me, the respectful thing to do is to carry on the legacy of this character and to carry it on, to carry this... Keep going with this character, T'Challa. Get an excellent actor to come in and pick up that baton for Chadwick Boseman and carry on the race. So that's how I feel. But you know how I feel about film fan petitions. Uh, even if it's something I agree with, I think it's a ridiculous thing to do. I, I just, you, you're, and, and, and studios should not listen. Because no matter what, petitions only represent a segment of the fan community. It doesn't matter how many signatures it gets and, and again this is for something that i do believe in i believe that they should recast t'challa but i have i have no interest i mean look if if you're a film fan and you want to start a petition god bless go do it but i'm not going to pretend like i'm interested in it i think studios should do whatever they they want to do whatever they feel is the right thing to do because they're the ones who know what they're doing and we don't and so that's just kind of my take on it but hey if somebody else wants to do it go for it i'm just not going to pretend that i'm interested in it even if it is for something i agree with and, and this is a case of that. I completely agree they should recast T'Challa, but I don't believe it's our, our our place as fans to tell the studios what they should do. But anyway, eh, this is kind of my take on it. And you don't have to agree with me. That's the beautiful thing about it. You don't have to agree with me, but that's kind of my take on it. Anyway, uh, next up. Um, Tensa writes, Hey, John, hope all is well. All is well. Part one. I love the differences in the way Steve, John, and Sam use the shield. Steve threw it with the intent to in, uh, incapacitate uh, when there is no other option. Uh, John throws it with the intent to kill as a first option. Well, that's not necessarily true. We've seen him throw the shield and, and knock people down with it. It's not like he was throwing to decapitate people every time he threw it. Anyway, and Sam not only doesn't throw it with intent for anything, he doesn't even want to hold it. Just beautiful. And I love how everyone that knows or has met Steve looks at John like, who the hell is this kid running around in a cap suit? Oh, I, I agree. And part of that, Part of that is what contributes and makes the John Walker character 
a multidimensional character. You know, he starts off accepting the job to be Captain America with hope, with dreams, with aspirations to do great things, a desire to live up to Steve Rogers. But as he's continuously rejected by Sam and Bucky, by a lot of people in the public, with guys spitting in his face and saying they don't care who he says he is, when he's constantly running into failure, you know, not being able to to take down the Flag Smashers on the fight on top of the truck, I believe that was in episode one or two, episode two, with getting his ass handed to him by the Dora Milaje and being so distraught, it's like they weren't even super soldiers. Like as we've seen him confronted with failure, rejection, and all that kind of stuff, We've seen him become desperate, disillusioned, probably a little bit of mixture with previous existing mental conditions with maybe PTSD or things like that. It's been a beautiful way to do that. It's It's been a beautiful way to do that. Uh, by the way, Joseph is asking in the live chat, where did you get that hoodie? Uh, some friends over at Warner Brothers sent it over to me. But thank, you, thank you very much. I, do, I love this. I, I love this hoodie. I love this thing. I love I love the font. I love the symbol. I'm, I'm, I just, I love the hoodie. Anyway. Uh, so anyway, there's that. So good observation, Tensa. I appreciate that. Next up. Oh, there was a part three. Okay. Is there a part four? No. Uh, we knew Steve and this MFR ain't Steve. That's true. And I love the way the MCU makes the super soldiers move. And lastly, I think the last line of the series will be Bucky looking at Sam saying, I'm with you to the end of the line, pal. And credits. Not only do I not think that will be the last line of the series, I don't think that should be. That is a special line of a special lifelong connection of lifelong friends between Steve and Bucky. You know, he hasn't actually known Sam that long. And they've even had parts where they really don't even like each other. I think it would personally, I think it would cheapen the line because when he says that, when when Sam, when, when Bucky, I mean, and Steve have those conversations and lines like that are said, it's a reinforcement of a lifelong bond that the two of them have had. Personally, I think if Bucky were to say something like that same line to Sam, to me, that cheapens the line a little bit. So I kind of hope they don't. I hope they don't go that far with it because I think it would cheapen the line a little bit. Anyway, okay, next up, uh, we've got uh, Ask a Lad who writes, Hey, John. I saw a suggestion for uh, uh, Vineland or Vinland saga in the last video. I love Viking epics, so took a, a chance on this show. And wow, it blew me away how deep it was. An epic historical tale that what that I wasn't ready for. But damn, if you get a chance, please check it out on Prime. Okay, so this is a great example why it's so great when you guys write in and recommend things. Because look, to be honest, I don't have time to watch all the things people recommend. But... Even if I don't have a chance to watch something that you recommend, look what just happened. You know, somebody wrote in the other day to recommend this show. And even though I haven't had a chance to go and watch it, Ask a Lad, one of the other viewers said, huh, that sounds interesting. And then they go and watch it. So even if you've got a great thing to recommend, even if you don't think it's something I'll get around to or something that I might have interest in, remember, there are thousands of other people watching, tens of thousands of other people watching. So 
you might be giving somebody else, one of your fellow film fan community members, something for them that they might go watch and enjoy. And Ask a Lad is a great example of that. So thanks a lot for sharing your experience with that, Ask a Lad. I appreciate that. All right, next up. Uh, Limac12 writes, Hey, John, hope you're having a fantastic day. I am having a fantastic day so far. When do you think we will start seeing marketing for Shang-Chi and Eternals? Um... I normally, look, honestly, whenever people ask me questions about when are we going to see X trailer, my answer is always the same. I don't care. I don't care when we see trailers for them. John, aren't you excited for Shang-Chi? Absolutely I am. But we're talking about a piece of manipulative marketing. That's what trailers are. John, don't you like trailers? Of course I enjoy trailers. But I'm in no rush to see a commercial. I'm in no rush to see a commercial. Uh, and by the way, uh, Monk's Den sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Monk's Den. I appreciate that, man. But, I mean, it does become interesting because let me bring this up here. Uh, Eternals. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, Shang-Chi release day. Okay. So Shang-Chi is scheduled to come out in the beginning of September. So we're in April right now, May, June, July, August, September. Five months. So that's still a little ways out. I would think that we would probably see where April, May, June, I think July, June or July. Yeah, I'll, I'll go for Shang-Chi, June or July is when I I will guess um, we're going to see that. As far as Eternals, so Eternals comes out later than that. I think it's around the beginning of November. Hold on a second. November 5th. Shang-Chi comes out on November 5th. So I would guess... August, July, August. So Shang-Chi, I'm going to guess June, July. Eternals, I'm going to guess July, August. Uh, I don't think they should put the trailers out too early. I think that's been a problem with the movie industry. They don't want to wait too late either. You don't want to wait to just two months away. So that's going to be my guess for those. Ultimately, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't care when they come out, but that's generally when I think would be a good date for them to release those. So that's the time frame I'm guessing we'll probably see those. And by the way, UFC uh, commentator, uh, instead of commentator, commentator uh, sends in a super chat badge. Thank you for that, UFC. All right, next up, we go to uh, Keith on Toothman who writes, oh, that's right, Keith, uh, Keith sent me this adorable video. Uh, uh, let me read this first. Uh, hey, buddy, I emailed you back, but I thought I'd let you know here. You're more than welcome to share the video of baby Azazel crying when I pause your show. Uh, glad you enjoyed it. I knew you would. Keep up the good work. As always, love you guys. So Keaton sent me this great video. I love this video. It's a video of him watching the John Campus show in his living room. And he, as the show is playing, he turns the camera to this beautiful little baby Azazel in their rocker watching the show too and just enamored with the screen as all people should be when watching the John Campius show. And then he hits pause on the John Campius show and puts the camera back to the baby and Azazel starts crying because he stopped the show. It's like one of my favorite videos ever. Anyway, if you guys want to see it, I put it up on my Twitter. So just go to my Twitter. You can see my Twitter handle is uh, right, uh, right here, down here. You see jo at John Campia. Uh, just go uh, right there at John Campia and it's a two or three posts down, but I've got the video up there that Keaton uh, shared with me. So go see it. It's adorable and beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing that with me, man. I love what me and Ann both got a big kick out of that video. All right. Next up, James Argenta writes, 
Uh, one She-Hulk story I think MCU could adapt is She-Hulk Law and Disorder, where She-Hulk defends old man Steve in a civil case. Steve is such a good guy. He has a Daredevil represent the person suing him, so the trial would be fair. Uh, again, I don't think they're going to go in that. I mean, that's not what I think they're doing here. I don't think they're going to bring out Steve Rogers for a She-Hulk show. Obviously, we know what kind of direction they're going. We've got um, Tim Roth coming back to play Abomination. Of course, he played Abomination in that Hulk movie. It's going to be probably more revolve around that. So, and I, I'm telling you, I, I have been wanting them to bring Abomination back for a while. I have always thought that they should bring Abomination back. Because remember, they never killed him. He's on the raft. And they've even referenced Abomination a couple of times uh, in some little things here and there. But I just need to pull out a new drink here. One second. I got a little fridge. My my uh, my brother-in-law, Ray, got me this little mini fridge that sits beside my desk here just so I can keep my Zevia Cola. Sponsor me, you sons of bitches. So I can keep my Zevia Cola here beside me for when I run out of drinks. So give me a moment while I pour this out. Um, anyway, and by the way, uh, Dragon 10 sends in a super chat badge in the, live, in the live chat. Thank you, Dragon 10. Appreciate that, dude. So yeah, ever since they announced that, because, you know, I've said I'm not a big fan of derivative characters. You know, Crypto, the one, the super dog, um, Batgirl, She-Hulk, uh, Kid Flash, um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not a fan of derivative characters. Like, come on, if you're going to make new characters, make new characters. I'm not saying the characters are bad. I'm just saying I generally don't get really excited for derivative characters normally. There are exceptions. Um, and so I wasn't super stoked for She-Hulk when they announced She-Hulk. I thought it was very interesting that they're going to do She-Hulk, but I wasn't really stoked for it. But as they, um, as they have announced, you know, when um, Tatiana Maslany was brought on Good Canadian Girl, by the way, to be the lead. Then they brought in that girl from Hamilton, which is great. Then Tim Roth is coming back to play Abomination. I got to tell you, I've been getting pretty excited about it. So it's going to be neat to see where they go with that one. All right, next up. Um, Blake Mason writes, did you see that Hasbro came out with an Optimus Prime auto-trans... Somebody wrote in about this yesterday. An Optimus Prime auto-transforming programmable robot. Peter Cullen does the voice as well. I pre-ordered it, but I checked back recently and it's all sold out. Are you going to get it? No chance in hell I'm going to get it. No chance in hell. John, don't you like it? Oh yeah, I like it. It's like the classic Optimus Prime Transformers toy. It even transforms the same way. Like I remember how he got his arms out like this, down like that, and they come in like head like... I had... I played with the hell out of with that toy when I had it. Um, it's very cool. And it'll pose and move around and then it'll transform itself. Awesome. Awesome. And then I looked it up and I looked at the price tag. And the price tag is $700. $700. Now, if it was four feet tall, maybe I consider $700 a value. But at $700, amongst all of its movements, it should give me a massage and maybe even a happy ending. For $700, I think a happy ending should be included in that. I mean, that's it's it's a I mean, it's a very unique toy. Obviously, it's a very unique toy. 
and it would be a very cool thing to have, but $700. No, sir. No, no, I'm not, I'm not paying $700 for that. No, no chance. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that, that's, that's that cool toy. I'll be very envious. You know, Robert Meyer Burnett's probably going to get it. I'll be very envious of anybody who does get it, but no, sir, I am not dropping $700 for that. All right. Uh, next up, uh, we've got Randall McMurphy who writes, I know this is going to sound cliche, but it's a real experience with a dear friend of mine talking about scenes that make us cry. The scene in Goodwill Hunting, I know you're, it's the it's not your fault scene, right? Um, the scene in Goodwill Hunting with Matt Damon and Robin Williams where William says to Damon, it's not your fault, always gets me. Recently, my dear friend was letting out uh, was letting out his anger over a traumatic experience with his father, and I told him it's not your fault. He instantly broke out in tears. He just needed someone to tell him that. The power of movies is real in humanity. No, listen, listen, the power of movies and storytelling is one of the most powerful things in the world, especially when a movie can convey human experiences and make us feel like we're not the only ones who feel or experience the things we feel and experience. And I'm telling you that scene on that bench between Robin Williams and Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting as he keeps saying to him, it's not your fault. I know it's not my fault. It's not your fault. I, yeah, I know. It's, it's not my fault. It's not your fault. I know it's not my fault. I mean, that's the scene. Now, some of you may not know, Robin Williams won his Academy Award for that movie, for Goodwill Hunting. He won Best Supporting Actor at the Academy Awards, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he did win. And I am convinced... While he's brilliant in the whole movie, that scene is what sealed the deal for him to win the Academy Award. That was the scene that won him the award. You know, now I gotta now I gotta go um um uh, I gotta go double check that that I am right that that's that he actually won for that. I'm positive he won for that. Hold a second. Yes, that's a right. Yes, best supporting actor. He was nominated three other times for best actor in Good Morning Vietnam and Best Actor in uh, Dead Poets Society, and Best Actor in The Fisher King. But uh, he won the award, finally, in 98. After three other nominations, he won it. And I'm convinced that that is the moment he won it. And by the way, Kevin Bloom sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kevin. appreciate that. It is a powerful, wonderful moment. And when movies can connect with us, When they can connect with us on an experiential level, like something that we can identify with and and relate to, it can be an incredibly powerful thing. And you're right, man. That scene, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. That is a powerful freaking scene, man. It's so, so good. Anyway, thanks for sharing that, Randall. It's not cliche at all. Thank you for sharing that, man. That's a powerful, powerful story. Thanks for sharing it with us. All right, next up. uh, Loaded Man writes, um, hi, John. I think the power broker is General Ross with the new um, Black Widow, Yelena uh, Belova, rumored to appear in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This makes the most sense to me. Also, I've read that Marvel wants to do the Thunderbolts as Marvel's answer to Suicide Squad. What do you think? OK, so there are I there are no good theories out there about who power broker is. I have yet to hear a good theory. I haven't heard a single theory yet about who Power Broker is that I think makes a lot of sense. However, there are a couple that are the least bad theories. 
for me, the least bad theory is Sharon Carter is the power broker. There are a lot of, there are a number of things that work against that, but again, out of, it's a bad theory, but out of all the bad theories, to me, it's the one that makes the most sense. Even though I think it's unlikely and it doesn't make a lot of sense, it's the one that makes the most, it's the best of the bad theories. Under Sharon Carter would be Thunderbolt Ross. But Thunderbolt Ross, it completely asks us to change how we see his character. Because while he is a dick, he is inherently a good guy. And how, like being Secretary of Defense or Secretary of State and all that kind of stuff, when does he have the time to be in Madripoor running an under, you know, as an underground crime lord in Madripoor? He's Secretary of State. He's in the military. He could never actually be there. And he's always been portrayed as a good guy, even if he's been a dick and maybe a little misguided sometimes. But, you know, out of all the bad theories, it's one of the least bad theories. So I don't know. Again, like I said, anything is possible right now because I have yet to hear a really good theory that makes sense. And so right now I'm thinking the most likely scenario is the power broker is going to be somebody we've never met before. Like, what are they going to say? Are they going to say IO is the power broker? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Zemo himself is the power broker. I mean, that doesn't make any sense either when you look at what's been transpiring, but Again, I haven't heard a good theory yet. I haven't. <laughs> uh, James Diesel says Jimmy Woo. Yeah, Jimmy Woo is is the power broker. Uh, Chris in the live chat is saying Justin Hammer. That's that's the worst theory yet, though, because Justin Hammer is portrayed in the movies like kind of an incompetent boob. Right. I don't think he would have been able to organize and create this big underground blah, blah, blah and rule with an iron fist. He's just he seems they just portrayed him kind of as a rich boob. So I don't know. But again. It's either going to be a bad one or it's going to be somebody we've never even heard of before. So I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. I, I don't feel strongly about it uh, either way. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Andrew Nathan who writes, Hey, John, it breaks my heart to know that the Arclight theaters are closing. Me too, man. Uh, having worked there for a number of years, I got to say that I'll always remember the great crew of people that I worked with. There will never be another theater like it. Thanks. And again, we, we talked about this on yesterday's show as well, that... Um, the Arclight theaters, and there are a number of them in the chain, and the Pacific theaters, they all together, they have about 300 screens, have shut down. Not gone into bankruptcy, they've shut down. I was, not as much as Rob, but I was gutted to hear that. Rob was devastated because the Arclight cinema in Hollywood, it is the place to see movies in Hollywood. I mean, yeah, there's the man Chinese. Yes, all, all respect to that stuff. But the place to go see the movies in Hollywood is the Arclight Theaters. And everybody knows it. And it's Rob's number one place to go to the movies. And they closed it down. And it is heart-wrenching. It was a very good experience. The staff at Arclight was always very well-trained. They were always terrific uh, members of the service industry. I always enjoyed my time going to the Arclight theaters and it was really, really sad. I hope they're able to save the cinema dome. I really do. But I, I was really gutted to hear that, Andrew. All right. Next up. Willow writes, which all female comic book movie army uh, would you like to have guard you? The Amazons or the Dora Milaje? Well, I mean, 
I'll have to go with the Amazons. I'll have to go with the Amazons because when it comes to battle ability and sheer ferocity, they're pretty close. But the Amazons are also descendants of the gods. (laughs) I mean, they are an immortal race, practically an immortal race of beings, and they live on a completely hidden secret island. So... Um, all I, all I'd have to do is if they wanted to protect me, they just bring me to, you know, Themyscira hide out. No one's going to find me there. And even if they did, the Amazons are going to kick their ass. Now, listen, I'll take either. I'll take either. Um, I, I would more than happy, be more than happy. I mean, then again, the Dormelage, they are specifically trained for protection, protection of the Wakandan King and the Dormelage have jurisdiction wherever the Dora Milaje find themselves to be. But I, I guess if I had to pick one because of the whole, you know, immortality and hidden island at Themyscira thing, I'm going to go with the Amazons. Although it's, a, it's there's no wrong answer there. There's no wrong answers. Then again, Wakanda, well, Wakanda's not a secret anymore. Wakanda is now an open thing. It's, it's not a secret anymore. So yeah, I'll go with the Amazons. All right, close one, though. It's, it's a tough call. That's a tough call. All right, uh, Derek Pierce writes, Hey, John. Hey, Derek. Uh, did you see the, the iconic storefront used as the exterior of Kim's Convenience is for sale? If you had the resources, would you buy it for the $200,000 asking price? Love the show and bring on the filthy. Absolutely not. Would I like to have that iconic? Of course, they announced this is a great example of stupidity in entertainment. I do not know what the producers of Kim's Convenience are thinking, but they decided to shut down the show after five seasons. The fans don't want this. The cast doesn't want this to happen. Everybody's bewildered. It's one of the best shows on television. It's crazy. Would I like to have that iconic storefront? Yes. Would I pay more than like $5,000 for it? No, I would not. So I'm not paying paying that kind of money for that. Uh, Again, not a $700 transforming Optimus Prime, not not a $200,000 storefront. Nope. Even though I love the show, no, I'm not buying that for that much money. All right. I, I will just turn on Netflix and look at the storefront on my TV for free instead of paying $200,000 for it. All right. Uh, let's see here. Thanks for writing that in, Derek. Marie Seifring writes, I thoroughly enjoyed Godzilla vs. Kong. I like some of the non-traditional themes mixed in that reminded me of Tales from Jules Verne. Uh, the action was great. Thanks. Hey, listen, I had a terrific time absolutely terrific time watching godzilla versus kong does it have problems oh you bet your ass it has problems actually either today or tomorrow i'm putting out an editorial video called the five worst things about godzilla versus kong even though you guys know i had a wonderful time watching it it has problems and we're going to talk about those problems in that video that i put out uh, either later today or tomorrow so keep your guys eyes open for it um but yeah i thought it was a great time and there's some great, wonderful, like old, you're right, like old style Jules Verne kind of sci-fi aspects to it too. So it did some things really, really well. Not everything, but it did enough things that I had a fantastic time at the movie theater watching it. I'm glad you enjoyed it too, Marie. All right, the Wakandan Forever writes, I saw the Armory of the Dead trailer, which we talked about yesterday. Looks interesting. Two zombie generals leading the undead, not just mindless generic monsters. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, there are two interesting things about that trailer. 
And I thought the trailer was great. I think the trailer, that trailer that dropped yesterday for Army of the Dead is a fantastic trailer. And it introduces two fairly unique things to the genre. Number one, I like the fact that it seems like the heroes aren't even aware that there's a zombie apocalypse going on. Because it seemed like in the trailer when they're in Las Vegas and they come across the zombies for this first time, they're like, what the hell is that? Whereas the government clearly knows about it. So that's kind of a cool angle. The other one is they pulled a Will Smith I Am Legend, where it's like they're not just mindless beasts, they actually are intelligent and they can organize and they can strategize. And, and that, of course, was a big you know plot twist in uh, I Am Legend, but we've never really seen it applied to the zombie genre before. And I thought that was really interesting too. Again, overall, I thought it was a terrific trailer, Wakanda, and I thought it was a really, really good trailer. All right, next up, Alan writes, Hey, John, I think Walker will win in a fight against Sam slash Bucky. In a recent trailer, you see S.H.I.E.L.D. still bloody when he faces them in a warehouse. But then later, he's strutting through the street with the S.H.I.E.L.D. and the S.H.I.E.L.D. is clean. Do you also think Walker will win? Um, I don't. I don't think Walker's going to win that fight. Now, I, I don't know that, and I'm not willing to put any money on that. This is just me making a guess. But I don't think that he can take... Um, I don't think he can take, first of all, I don't think he can take Bucky. I I just, I don't think he can take Bucky. I understand that he also has the super soldier serum and that's great, but Bucky just knows what he's doing. Uh, and Bucky has been, you know, he's had that power for a long time. So I don't think that he can take Bucky one-on-one. Not to mention that he's got the vibranium shield. Bucky's got the vibranium arm, but, Bucky and Sam together. So I don't know. Like, I think what'll happen is they will fight and there won't be a definitive winner. Something will happen that will end the fight and they split off from each other. And that's probably why we see him later on with the shield. But no, I don't think he can win that fight. Now, could Walker and Battlestar have beat Bucky and Sam in a fight? Closer. That's a closer fight. I still think Bucky and Sam have the edge, but that would be a much, much closer fight. But John Walker, even with the super soldier serum against Bucky and Sam, I I don't think he wins that fight, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. It's a good theory, Alan. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more on tomorrow's pregame show for Falcon, the winter soldier. All right. Next up. Random dude from Quebec. I love the province of Quebec Uh, as Vegas was walled off with the zombies left inside to haunt the abandoned city. So we know people know about that zombie apocalypse. That's what we hear on the radio at the beginning of the trailer of Army of the Dead. But again, is that from the beginning? Is that from the end of the movie? Is that a setup? Because again, again, and you might be totally right, random dude. You might be absolutely 100% right. But the guys who go in on the mission seem legitimately surprised at what they find. They like see zombies and they're like, what the hell is that? So that radio kind of broadcasting might have just been made for the trailer. We've seen that done before. Or maybe it's something from the end of the movie when the world now knows about what's gone on in Vegas. Again, but again, you could be 100% right. I don't know. We will find out when we get into and, and watch the movie. And I'm excited to watch it. All right, next up. Random Dude also writes in, also mentioned there's a 32-hour window to get the money. I'm curious why there's a 32-hour window since it's in the middle of an abandoned apocalyptic city. Uh, I know you don't have the answer for me, but I feel like there's someone else involved. See, my feeling on that was this. 
was obviously they all know Las Vegas is a quarantined off city that the military controls. So when he says there's a 32-hour window, my guess is, and this is just me guessing, that there is some kind of guard rotation when a time when something does go in and out of the town that allows them a small window of opportunity to get in and a small window of opportunity to get out. So I think they're going to present what that specifically is in the movie, but that's my guess. Again, only a guess, but that's my guess what they mean by that. So we'll find out if that's true or not as we get closer to the film. All right, next up, Robbie Hassel writes, Hey, John, I always look forward uh, to your show every day. Thank you so much, Robbie. I watched Melissa McCarthy's Thunder Force last night on Netflix. Horrible. <laughs> Another stinker from her uh, and her husband. Have you gotten a chance to see it? And yeah, yeah again, I, I spoke about that at the beginning of the show today. It is terrible. And again, there there is obviously a pattern here. Melissa McCarthy doing movies that her husband directs does not work. And I plead with both her husband, Ben Falcone, and her to please stop. Not because I'm subjected to these awful movies. No, I don't have to watch the movies if I don't want to. I mean, so I don't care. But the reason I am pleading with them to stop is because every time they put out one of these terrible movies, I believe it is damaging Melissa McCarthy's career. You put out one or two stinkers, whatever. You continue. You put out four or five. You continue to make these pieces of garbage. It's just damaging Melissa's career. And I think Melissa's actually a really good performer. I am a fan of Melissa McCarthy. And from everything I hear, Ben is a fabulous, wonderful guy. But fabulous, wonderful guy or not, this does not work. Ben writing and directing movies that have his wife starring in them or his wife being in movies that her husband is is making, this clearly doesn't work. And I just don't want Melissa McCarthy's career and, and image and legacy to continue to be damaged by doing these types of films. Anyway, that's that's just me and whatever. All right, thanks for sharing, Robbie, and I'm totally with you on that, man. All right, next up, we got Paths Unwritten Rights. Something I've wondered since Avengers 1, uh, we know Loki was trying to get caught, but when Iron Man and Cap confront him in Germany, along with Black Widow in the Quinjet, uh, would they have been capable of killing him right then had they tried to do so? <sighs> I, By the way, that scene um, in, in Avengers 1, one of my favorite moments in comic book movies when everybody is kneeling to Loki and that one old man won't. And he says something like, uh, something like, I don't, I can't remember the exact line, but it's basically like, uh, I won't kneel to men like you. And Loki says, there are no men like me. And then the old man looks at him defiantly and says, there are always men like you. I'm like, that's awesome. That is truly one of the best moments in comic book, not the best moment, but but it's 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 up there. It's one of the best moments in comic book movies. There are always men like you. Had they actually gotten into it and really thrown down right there? Cap, Iron Man, Black Widow against Loki. How would that have gone? I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. I'm thinking combine Cap and Iron Man. I think I think they would have won with Cap and Iron Man there. I think they would have won. 
But I mean, obviously Loki was all orchestrated and all kind of stuff. But that was a great scene. I do love that scene. All right. Next up, we've got Wind uh, Windwalker fifty seven who write who tips in like twenty dollars. Thank you, Windwalker, for supporting our channel on that level, man. I appreciate that, dude. Windwalker writes. Note regarding Rob's Star Trek slash Top Gun t-shirt, which he was wearing the other day. There's an inside joke there. The nuclear vessels, vessels, I love that, by the way, and Chekhov says that. Yes, where are the nuclear vessels? I love that. That's a that's a great moment in that movie. Scene in Star Trek 4 was shot uh, aboard the Carrier Ranger. She was in port to take on a Paramount film crew who were shooting the at-sea scenes for Top Gun. I never knew that. Is that true? If so, that is hilarious. Is that true? Because that does give a... First of all, it's a great piece of movie trivia if that's true, but it does give a whole new context to that T-shirt. That is a great thing to throw in there, Windwalker. I got to make sure I send this over to Rob to see if he knows about that. That is a terrific little piece of trivia, movie trivia. Thank you for... I I will be absolutely sure to share that with Rob and see if he knows that. Excellent little tidbit of info there, Windwalker. Thank you for sharing that with the rest of us, man. All right. Daryl Best Wadley writes, "Uh, Love the last Falcon slash Winter Soldier episode. So did I. I thought it was was easily the best one of the series so far. I love how they were showing that Steve wasn't a fluke. Only he could wield the super soldier serum. Also, I noticed Walker wearing a wedding ring. I wonder how his wife will react to what he did. Listen. They made a point. I'm actually surprised we haven't seen her again already. And that in episode two, when we were first introduced to John Walker, they made a point to highlight how important she is to him. So I think, Daryl, you are right on point here by she's going to come into play. She's going to come into play. Now, whether she's as crazy as him and goes, yeah, kill those, you know, whatever. Or whether she'll be like, John, what are you doing? I don't know. But they clearly showed in that in episode two that she's an important individual in his life, obviously. And I think we're going to come back around to that. I just never felt like this was a one and done scene for that character. I've always felt like we're going to come back to her. And uh, I think we will. So I think you're right about that, Daryl. Next up, Ryan Loner writes. Well, it finally happened. I just heard a radio DJ call out a, a song from my high school days, uh, an oldie. Don't mind me just feeling the cold grip of time around my heart. Oh, yeah, I know. Like when I hear people talk about like 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 Top Gun, it's like, you know, what it's like it's like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. It's like, remember that old, old, old movie Empire Strikes Back, stuff like that. It's like, yeah, shut up, shut up. Or when, like whenever we hear about movies turning 20 or 30 years old, it's like, shut up, just shut up. I I feel it now. Yeah, hearing songs play that were songs that were just like popular songs when we were in high school. Like for me, it was like Guns N' Roses, right? Now here's the old classic song from Guns N' Roses. They were an old time band. It's like, oh, damn, damn, we're getting older. Damn, we're getting older. Anyway, uh, next up, Frankie Gouge writes, warned you about Thunder Force, although Jason Bateman was the was the least low point of the film as the crab. I, I agree. Now, even the crab stuff, they went too far and it became just too silly. But Jason Bateman, he can be in the biggest bowl of crap and still 
makes something charming about it. Jason Bateman is wonderful. I love Jason Bateman. So yeah, there's that. And you're right, Frankie, you did warn. You did warn. It's terrible. It is absolutely terrible. Uh, Anyway, uh, James Lockman writes, one of two. Uh, Hey, John, you said you're playing uh, Xbox games on your PC using uh, Game Pass. Yes, I am. Did you know that you can do the same with PlayStation games? I did not. Well, I know this. I have my PlayStation, right? Like here, right here. Uh, like I've I've got my 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 PS5 controller right here. Or uh, sorry, PS4 controller. I don't have a PS5 yet. So um, what I'm able to do is to connect to my PlayStation through a PlayStation app on the PC, and I can just play my games uh, on here. But you, I need to own a PlayStation in order to do that. I can play the Xbox games without an Xbox. Uh, Because it allows me to download the games and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, do you know you can do the same with PlayStation games? PlayStation has something called PS Now. It's been out for a very long time, but but just like Netflix, Sony doesn't um, advertise it well. Uh, You can play over 800 games, and it's just $59 a year. Uh, All you have to do is download the PS Now app to your PC. You can just use a mouse and keyboard. You just have to look online for the steps to set it up. Now, wait a minute. Is this different from... Like the the PlayStation Connect that I connect to my PlayStation. Like I don't even have to. Is this something where you don't even have to have the game console? If that's the case, that would be something I'd be interested in. Because I, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about that. Uh, Mark in the live chat is saying it's been out for 10 years. I had no idea. So 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 now Mark in the live chat is also saying yes. So really, I, that's interesting. I didn't even know such a thing existed. I'm gonna have to look into that. Thank you for giving me the heads up on on that, James. I'm 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 gonna look into that. Maybe I don't have to get a PS5 after all. I will look into that. Thank you, dude. All right. Anyway, uh, next up, Ryan Loner writes. The one part that really kills the terminal for me is when Hanks is finally able to leave the airport, uh, just like Tucci has wanted all along. But then Stanley Tucci tries to stop him for literally no reason, except he's been uh, designated as the movie's villain. I mean, yeah, but again, everything, even from the ending part with Catherine Zeta-Jones, again, for those of you who don't know this, the terminal is, I believe, the only bad Steven Spielberg movie. Even though it's like got the great Tom Hanks, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Stanley Tucci, I I get it. I to me it is the only bad Steven Spielberg movie, and I just I, and I think he is the greatest filmmaker of all time. But to me, it's the one bad one. So there are a lot of moments for me, Ryan. But anyway, thanks for sharing your thoughts one on that too. All right, next up, James Hoffman writes. Check out the show The Nevers uh, on HBO Max. The pilot just dropped. It's really good. There's action and mystery set in Victorian England. Women have received strange powers and are being hunted for it. It's like female X-Men series meet Sherlock Holmes. I'll tell you what. Anne, me, and our friend Ryan did sit down. Like Our buddy Ryan came over and we were like, oh yeah, that new show The Nevers came on. Oh, let's, give, let's check it out. It's great. The pilot episode's great. Now, it's it's obviously got Joss Whedon is obviously a name that's uh, that's a very uh, lightning rod divisive name right now. And I get that. And he, of course, you know, created this show, The Nevers, and he directed and he's producer on he directed the pilot episode and all that kind of stuff. But. The show is really good. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's as good as Invincible 
or 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 the boys or anything. But I was surprised because this whole set in Victorian kind of era, although I really like Joss Whedon's work, I it didn't really look all that appealing to me. So I haven't been counting down the days. Ooh, when does the Nevers come out? Like I haven't been counting down the days. Like I even missed when it originally dropped. So Ann and I, Ann and I and our friend Ryan, it was a couple of days after it first came out and we popped it on and Ann loved it. Ann really loved it. There's this moment where the the one guy, for those you, if you haven't seen it, you won't know what I'm talking about. When the guy looks at the women, he's like, "What's wrong with you?" And my and just about laughed her guts out. I I thought it was really good. So I I mean maybe it goes to crap after this, but uh, the first episode for me is a first episode's a winner. It's really quite good. I, I'm going to be curious to see if it if it gets better or if it declines, but we'll see. And the ending of the episode, I won't give it away. The ending of the episode with the thing in the sky totally caught me off guard. I'm like, what the F is that? So, yeah, for me, I, I thought it was pretty slick. I liked it, James. All right. Next up, Andrew Mark writes, are we in the right spot here? Uh, yes, we are. Okay. Uh, next up, Andrew Mark writes. Let me get his question up here. Uh, hey there, John. Love the show. Thank you so much. I've been a longtime viewer of your work from AMC to Collider and to your solo show. Thank you, Andrew, for coming along for the ride. Appreciate that, man. I was wondering what your thoughts are on for Godzilla and Kong's MonsterVerse. Do they continue with more movies or even a TV series? I don't see the point in doing a TV series, to be honest with you. Listen, let me see if I can bring this up here. They're getting close. They're closing in on... Hold on a second. Godzilla versus Kong. They're closing in on $400 million. Um, let me see. Where, where are we at? There we are. Oh, they haven't updated the totals yet. Okay, but they're closing in on $400 million. So I think right now, the last I heard, it's not showing on a box office. The last I heard, it's crossed $360 million. So um, let, let me put this into context. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Oh my God. Okay. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Without a pandemic, without limited theater capacity, with all theaters in the world being open, and with everybody feeling totally comfortable going to the movies if they wanted to, Godzilla King of the Monsters made $386 million worldwide. $386 million worldwide is how much King of the Monsters made. Godzilla versus Kong is going to pass Godzilla King of the Monsters while there's still a pandemic on, while not every not all movie theaters are open, the theaters that are open, most of them have limited capacity seating, and there's still a good amount of the movie going public that doesn't feel comfortable right now going out to go to the movies. And yet Godzilla King of the Monsters, or Godzilla versus Kong, is going to pass, probably, Godzilla King of the Monsters for overall box office. Especially when you consider context, that is an incredible win for Warner Brothers. That's an incredible win. That's amazing. I I just can't imagine that Warner Brothers isn't going to do another one after this huge success. 
with all those extenuating circumstances, the fact that it has made the money that it's made, I think they count it as a huge win. And I would be very surprised. Like, I don't know. I don't know this. I've got no insider information from Warner Brothers on the future of King Kong and Godzilla. But I would be surprised if within the next year we don't hear about them greenlighting another movie in the MonsterVerse. Whether it's Kong, whether it's Godzilla, whether it's Godzilla and Kong teaming up again to take on something else, I don't know. But I would be surprised if they don't do another one. I, I, I think that's where we're heading. I think we are heading towards them doing another one. We'll find out for sure soon. All right, next up, Jay Bling writes, between Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, Army of the Dead, and the new, Fanta- uh, the new Fast 9 uh, uh, trailer, this is the perfect week of trailers for movies that just gives us what we want without giving any Fs. True. Again, the, the trailers that have dropped right now, in the last two days, including today with the new Fast 9 trailer, Hitman's Wife Bodyguard, great little trailer. Army of the Dead, fantastic trailer. I mean, my heavens. Like, even if nothing else, them playing the the rest in peace, all glory to Kenny Rogers, the great Kenny Rogers gambler, you gotta know when to hold them. That's yeah, Playing that, is like the equivalent of playing like a Johnny Cash tune over. It was just a perfect song to play that, especially, you know, a song like The Gambler with it taking place in Vegas. It was a perfect song choice for a trailer. And then all the stuff they showed us in the trailer, it was just really, really good. It was just really, really good. And I enjoyed watching that a great deal. So for me, yeah, that. so you got Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, uh, which was great. Then, of course, you got the fantastic trailer for uh, for Army of the Dead. And then today, this morning, like you're pointing out, they come out with um, they come out with the Fast 9. And this Fast 9 trailer, again, not going to win any Academy Awards, n- nothing like that. But it's it just looks like a lot of fun. It just looks like an awful lot of fun. And so, uh, yeah. I'm enjoying to seeing all of them. And they are the types of trailers that right now coming out of a pandemic, trying to get back into going to the theaters with vaccinations happening and trying to be in that transition period. These are the kinds of trailers that we want to see. And uh, I've really enjoyed seeing them so far. All right, guys, uh, we've got time for one more question. Then we're going to wrap it up today. The last question we're going to take today comes to us from Raymond Verrata, who writes, if you and Rob can bring back Han in the in the Fast franchise or Justin Lin, okay. If you and Rob can bring back Han in the Fast franchise or is Justin Lin messing with you, uh, what other film's creative decision can you guys influence uh, by just talking about it on your show? Yeah, of course. So, you know, Rob kind of is the one who popular on this show. Rob is the one who popularized the whole idea of justice for Han. That was that was Rob kind of spearheaded that whole thing. And lo and behold, Han is back. You know, of course, I was the champion of the other hashtag. Hashtag Han had it coming. But, you know, Rob's side prevailed. Justice for Han prevails. We got that. What are things we can influence? I can't can't influence shit. Let's be clear about that. I have zero influence. Absolute zero influence uh, on this shit. (laughs) I have absolutely none. Although I will share a story with you. Rob knows about this. I told Rob about this and show it to Rob. But I, you know, I've got, I've got friends at just about every studio. 
Um, and I had uh, one of my friends, and I showed it to Rob, uh, messaged me saying, hey, just so you know, we have like a monthly uh, PR meeting about, you know, how we're going to, you know, and remember PR is different from marketing, but they sometimes, they do have some overlap. He says, we have this monthly PR meeting with this head of this department. And, and we're talking about how we are, what our PR approach is going to be for this upcoming title. I'm not going to name anything. And this big wig who I will not name was in this meeting with us and they brought up, you know, one of the things they were talking because we were talking about the property in question and this big wig at the studio brought up, you know, uh, uh, John Campy was saying on the John Campy show, this, 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 and this about our, our property. And maybe we can lean into that. And I'm like, I showed it to Anne. I'm like, ah! like, I don't know, because you understand I am a fucking nobody. Right. So just whenever you get to hear little things like that, I go, ah! I just kind of freak out. So that was pretty cool. But no, make no mistake about it. I have zero influence. I have absolutely zero influence. No, nobody gives a shit what I what I think. Nobody in any studio gives a shit what John Campy thinks they should do. That doesn't stop me from you know engaging with my fellow film fan community members, and we'll talk about what we would like to see. But you know, I have I have absolutely zero influence. Absolutely zero influence. All right. Anyway, guys, that will do it for now. There's still a, a, like three or four questions left, but we're going to wrap things up right now. Don't worry, guys, for the questions that were still left over. There were only two, three, or four, maybe five questions left over. Um, for any of the questions that we didn't get to, don't worry. When we do the John Campion Show tomorrow, we will start off with your questions that we didn't get to. Uh, but that will do it for us for now, guys, for this installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Once again, guys, do not forget, a little bit later today, let me see if I can get this up here. A little bit later today at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you have questions or are interested in about, you know, YouTubing, you know, whether it's gear or software, best practices or philosophies or whatever, uh, a little bit later today at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, that's 4 p.m. Los Angeles time, 7 p.m. New York time, uh, you are more than welcome to come back here and we are going to be taking your questions about how to YouTube. Again, that's a dumb name for the video, but I don't, I don't know what else to call it. We're going to be talking about how to YouTube. We're going to be taking your live comments and questions, asking about whatever it is you want to ask. Or we're going to talk about whatever it is you guys want to talk about when it comes to getting going or growing or uh, evolving or changing your YouTube channel, podcast, blog, whatever it may be. You got questions about it? Let's talk about it. We're going to do that today at 4 p.m., so come on back and join us then. But for now, guys, that will do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here, guys. Remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.